0: So then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. and Do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, if you meet somebody, how do you know they're a Christian? You know, how how, how do you tell? How would you be able to spot it? I mean, do you look for the the little cross hanging around their neck, maybe on the necklace? Or um, the fish on their car? That's always a good one. Love that one. Look at the fish on the back of their car. Well, certainly in the early church, they were concerned about this question of, of how people would, would spot or see or understand Christians to be, especially in an environment where people are being persecuted. It's not so much a matter of, of hanging a sign around your neck and saying, I'm a Christian. But there was this really strong notion that people should be able to recognize Christians by how they behaved. And we're not talking particularly about how they behaved personally, but how they behaved relationally. That if you saw a group of persons together and you saw how they act together, you should be able to understand that that is a Christian community. So what we have in this passage today, which is taken from the letter to the Ephesians, is a bunch of separate pieces of advice. They're kind of strung together, but all together they're trying to tell people to be imitators of God. The idea is that if you do these various things, then you begin to imitate the way God is, and then through you, through your behavior, people would come to see and understand something of what God is like. Now, these pieces of advice that are there, I mean, if you were listening to them, they're kind of not necessarily connected. They're discrete, different pieces of advice. And it's that way because um, most of the laws, most of the rules that we come up with in the world only come up because somebody isn't following them. Because that happens all the time, right? We sit there and and people start to do something that you never imagined people would do. And the majority of people think it ought not to be. And then suddenly someone says, well, there ought to be a law. And that's how a lot of these things come into being. I, I remember when I was a kid, I remember the first time I started seeing signs at restaurants that said, remember, you know, no shirt, no shoes, no service. You didn't need those before then, Right? For most of the time, you didn't need them because people just thought, oh, I'm going to a restaurant. I think I'm going to wear a shirt. I probably ought to have shoes. And then finally you had people who said, well... There's no law against walking into a restaurant without a shirt and without shoes. And so you started seeing the signs crop up. The same thing was happening in the early church. People are getting together. They're believing in Jesus. However, they're having trouble negotiating out exactly what the rules are of how to live together. And so you end up with these letters being written. So the epistles in scripture are generally collections of relatively disparate pieces of advice being written to a community to, to address the particular problems that they are having. So they hear about them, and they're like, well, no, here's how you resolve this. Yes, you do need to wear shoes, Or you know, they, and, and you go along. And ultimately, it comes together under this idea of being imitators of God and of people who are going to be kind to one another. But often, that isn't as easy as it seems. We always have to negotiate and figure out with each other what these kinds of words mean. I mean, that's the first thing that happens in Scripture. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Bible says, love your neighbor. And people go, okay, that's great. I just need to know two things. What is love and who's my neighbor? And they start parsing it out at that level. So these pieces of advice get to be Fairly specific for dealing with the situation where a general instruction like be kind to one another begins to dissolve under people not knowing exactly what that should be like. So we're just going to look at a few of the pieces and talk about how to think about the ways that those would impact our lives. One of them that a lot of people hang on to, and and I love this verse, is the one here where it says, be angry but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. A lot of people love it because sometimes people think that Christians are never supposed to be angry. That somehow we're supposed to just be placid no matter what happens. That's okay. Um, and, And they think Christians should never be angry. And so they love hearing this, be angry. But do not sin. Like, does that mean it's okay? All right, you mean I can actually be angry and the anger in and of itself is not sin? Uh, that's great. People love to hear that. But I want to pick this apart a little bit because there is some subtlety in the language. And, and don't forget that last part where it says, And do not make room for the devil. Because that plays into um, how, how these words come together. The subtlety in the language of this verse is that if you look at the words in Greek the words that get translated as angry and anger don't actually come from the same greek word okay so we would sit there and say okay angry anger it's just two forms of the same thing but in greek that first word angry comes from a word that means furious be furious but do not sin but the other word is not i mean if the other word were coming from the same root the translation would be like be furious but, you know, do not let the sun go down on your fury. All right? But they're from different words. That second word refers to feeling provoked. All right? that, that's what it means. And so if you were to substitute that in as a translation, it would begin to look like this. Be furious, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. Don't let the day end on your feeling provoked. Now, that's actually kind of important for me to understand the distinction, because to me, at least, fury is something that just kind of boils up in the moment. Something happens, and it just sets you off, and suddenly you're furious that this happened. And I don't often have a lot of control over whether in the moment I'm going to feel fury. Something happens, and I'm just furious that that happened. But the second one... I have a lot more control over. Whether I'm going to feel provoked. Whether I'm going to feel like someone did this to me on purpose. Whether I'm going to hold a grudge about it and let that stay with me. So the second one, I control. See? So the first one, getting furious, a bad thing happens. No, that's, that's going to happen. But by the end of the day, I need to let go. By the end of the day, I need to let go of that feeling of provocation. Because it is the feeling of provocation that leads to the desire to take revenge. To get even. To keep score. And we need to not do that. And that's where the verse had talked about making room for the devil. The, The room in which the devil can operate in your life is in that space of wanting to get back at whoever did it. To you. So be furious. All right. But by the end of the day, let go of that feeling of provocation. Because you might not control getting angry. You Start to control staying angry. Yeah. You start to control how long you're going to allow this to bother you. So sure, in the moment, and I feel it, I, I think I inherited my dad's temper. So in the moment, I can feel furious. But I control how I'm going to let go of that over time. And there's other advice in this passage that I think boils down to choices that we face in our lives. To choices that we have control over. This one, which is uh, thieves must give up Stealing. By the way, we understand that this is not literal because there's no society ever that condoned stealing. All right, so, you know, I mean, really, whoever has a society that says, just, yeah, whatever, just take it. Nope, no problem, just take it, okay? So we don't have that, so we kind of understand that what must be happening here is that something is happening that they are regarding as theft. And essentially when you read the rest of it it becomes fairly clear what's going on is that you've got a community of persons who are giving and others who are taking and it's simply saying that if you have the capacity to be a giver but you choose to be a taker then you are effectively stealing from the community you're you're a thief when you are taking when you could be giving and we know that this happens in a lot of communities. And by the way, I, I think that this passage should apply to more than just stuff, okay? I, I think it needs to be a lot about a lot more than just money. For instance, we all, we all have friends like this, right? We all have, you know, when you're getting together for a group, right, you all know that there are some people who get there early to set up and some who never manage to, and some who stay a little late to help clean up and some who have to leave you know <laughs> we always know that there's just a few who are like that right and and it's not like it 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 rotates we always know it's like why why is it in the group of 10 12 people it's always the same 3 who are there early to set up and the same 3 who are staying late to clean up and the same couple in the middle who seem to never be able <laughs> to get there a little early, stay a little late, and it's always their coffee cup that's left on the table. So I think this happens in a lot of ways. You know, are are you going to be within a community of faith, within a a community of any kind among your friends? Are you going to be a community where everybody strives to the best of their ability. I mean, the implication here is that you have to have the ability to be a giver within the community, but to the extent of your ability that you're going to be someone who chooses to be a giver rather than a taker in the context of the community. It's a pretty simple choice, and that's the thing. You have a choice. You control the amount of effort you're going to put into the community, whatever community you're in. You control your effort level. Do you want to be someone who who is a giver to to the group? Or do you want to be someone who's a net taker? You are in charge of that. You get to control it. So another thing you control, pretty simple. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. You know, the vast majority of the ways we interact with people in the course of a day is actually through words. You have a limited number of opportunities in the day to actually do something for somebody in a physical way or have some interaction other than with words. The vast majority of our interactions with people in the course of the day is with words. We we greet them, we talk to them for a minute, we ask how they're doing. uh, But the vast majority of your interactions will actually simply be words. And if those interactions are positive, if those interactions build people up it makes a huge difference in your world. It makes a huge difference in the community of people that you deal with. Do your words build people up and you know who controls your words? You do right? You control your words. you know what I hate the most I, I, not the most I mean there's lots of things but what what but, <laughs> but what bothers me is when folks say, I can't help it, I just say what comes into my mind. There are like a couple of documented medical conditions where this is true. If you don't bring me a doctor's note, I don't believe you. You can control what you say. You have the ability to have a filter that sits between your brain and your mouth and you can choose what's going to get through. You can decide what your words are going to be like. You control your words. You choose whether those words are going to build people up Or tear them down. It's actually that simple. It's not that hard. And to be imitators of God. Is to be people who simply go through life. Making choices. That reflect the presence of God. That reflect the reality of God. That reflect God being a part of your life. And people who make great choices. They inspire people. Whenever you see somebody who just seems to continually make the better choice in their life, that's inspirational. You tend to ask them, how do you do that? You, know, you, you always seem to make a good choice. You always seem to make better choices, whatever it is. You know, and, and we look at it and we go, wow, you always make a great decision when it comes to name the category. And then that's inspirational. And what you really want the church to be is a community where, pe- where it becomes known as folks who, through the power of their faith, simply make better decisions. They make better decisions in every part of their life. They make better decisions about trying to be givers rather than takers in their community. They make better decisions about letting go of provocations, about letting go of things that have happened to them and moving on. They make better decisions about the words they use, and they become known as people who build up others with their words in every interaction that they have. At the end of the day, you decide to be more faithful. We believe in in the Presbyterian tradition, we believe in our theology that your, your faith in God is a work of God. That your faith in God emanates first and foremost from the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. But how you respond to it, how you allow that to play out in your life, increasingly becomes your decision as you move forward in faith. You decide how faithful you're going to be. And those decisions come not with these big grand things, but in these everyday little things or seemingly little decisions that you see in a passage like this. The everyday interaction. How quickly you get over a situation that angers you. How well you choose your words to show grace to other people. Those decisions we face every single day. We face them in almost every interaction we have. And we need to understand that those are faith decisions. How we respond to them is a matter of faith. How you choose to greet the stranger on the street, the person you meet in the store, is a faith decision and ultimately if we would be known as the people who make that decision better more often than others we become a very compelling story to the world because people want to make better decisions in their lives it's a pretty basic need a pretty basic desire And what God wants is for you to imitate God. Which is to make the kind, the loving, the caring, the giving decision as often as you can. Amen.